This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Ashley Hales, host of the Finding Holy podcast and author of the book, Finding Holy in the Suburbs. The Finding Holy podcast is for the spiritually curious, for people who find themselves trapped by busy and fine and want a bit of something in their earbuds to keep them going. It's for people who need just one small step to help them connect the dots between the things that matter and your everyday holy life. My guest this week is Reverend Sam Wheatley. Sam was our pastor in Salt Lake City, Utah, and where my husband and I and our family have moved on from Salt Lake City to church plant in the Southern California suburbs, Sam and his wife, Kate, have moved back to New York City. Sam is the executive pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church downtown. And here's why I asked Sam on. This whole season, we've been talking about how places form our loves and how to interact well in our places, whether that's as an expat, whether that's in a big city, whether that looks like interacting online in our digital spaces. So places form our loves and they also form our habits. And I kept seeing things pop up on Sam's Instagram feed about this ritual, this liturgy of moving the car. And in a big city like New York City, they have to move the car a lot. I'll let him tell you all about it. But it became a space for contemplation, and I wanted to know more about it. So be sure to stick around. You'll find at the end one small step to take you into your very last weeks of the 2018 year. Here's my interview with Sam. super excited because this morning I have the pleasure of talking to Reverend Sam Wheatley. And Sam and I have been friends. We lived together. We didn't live together. That sounds way awkward. <laughs> but we, That's why I made you call me the Reverend. Right. <laughs> but we, we were uh, together doing ministry in Salt Lake City, Utah. Now he finds himself in New York City and we are in the Southern California suburbs. And it's such a pleasure to have Sam Wheatley on today. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Ashley, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So I would just love to hear, we're talking on the Finding Holy podcast about how all the things that matter, the big ideas, our theology, issues of culture and belonging, how that actually works itself out into everyday holy moments. One thing I saw on Instagram that just really piqued my interest from Sam was this. He was talking about now that he lives in New York City, what does it look like to kind of have these spaces of retreat and silence? He has these um, posts, you should all go follow him on Instagram, but um, about moving his car from one side of the street to another. And so I was like, this is fascinating. Tell me what this liturgy of moving your car has done for you. So uh, one of the changes in 
in uh, moving from Salt Lake to New York is this incredible new experience of having to deal with your car. A car isn't an asset like it is in Salt Lake or lots of other places. A car is really a hassle unless you pay enormous amounts of money to park it uh, in a garage. And so what we do is what's called alternative side of the street parking, which Mm -hmm. is the way to get free parking in New York, which means in Manhattan, you have to move your car twice a week, either Monday and Thursday or Tuesday and Friday, unless there's one of the many holidays that uh, gives you a free parking day. So we have a whole list of every holiday imaginable. Right. We're super excited about living in a uh, poly-religious city because there are get more holidays. <laughs> new parking holidays all the time. But uh, parking became sort of, for me, you have to take your car, double park it, wait for the sweeper to come, and then move it back into the the very same spot you just vacated. Okay. And uh, then you have to sit there for an hour and a half until the time expires that you can then leave your car. If you're sitting in your car, it's called standing. Okay. If you leave your car, it's called parking. Right. And if you leave your car during that period of time, uh, you'll get a ticket. Right. So it's really an imposed period of uh, standing still. Mm. And so that's what kind of struck me first about it. I was first annoyed by it. And then I began to say, one of the things I complain about all the time here is that I don't have time to be still. Mm. And actually parking my car is the one place, the one time that I have enforced uh, stillness Mm. in my life. And so it became to me an opportunity to grab that and to use it for uh, a time of silence, reflection, uh, journaling, thinking through things, praying about issues in a really, uh, you know, a nicely carved out amount of time that's long enough to feel a little long, mm-hmm. but it's not like all day. Right. And uh, it really is to me kind of the perfect reflective period of time in my week. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. So walk us through what was that process from the annoyance? Like what how did that change where you were firstly annoyed at this, you know, intrusion into your schedule and then began to see that as a gift? Yeah, I don't know exactly what that process was. I think it just clicked that I was I mean, one of the things I tell people as a pastor all the time is be careful or listen to the things you complain about. Mm-hmm. Uh oftentimes the things you complain about are usually evidences of potential giftedness Mm. because you see something nobody else sees. So you Mm. tend to complain, why doesn't somebody do something about this? And so complaining is oftentimes a good uh, diagnostic tool for where your heart and where your gifts actually lie. And so I, I guess I took that complaining to heart a little bit and said, okay, what are the opportunities here rather than just being annoyed. Right. That's not a great opportunity or invitation. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's great. Um, I would love to hear your perspective on moving kind of from a mid-sized college town, smaller city of Salt Lake City to moving to one of the largest cities on the planet, New York City. What was that change for you? And specifically, I'd love for you, you know, this season of Finding Holy podcast, we're talking about issues of place and how do we belong to a place. Um, and I would love to hear from you kind of as you saw that shift, what did that look like for you? How do you belong to such a large place as New York City? Well, I think um, 
in some ways, what makes us feel placed here are our relationships because we lived here 20 plus years ago, mm-hmm. right out of college. And so it was actually coming back to a place where we had these longstanding relationships. Mm-hmm. And then we also were rejoining a church that we had seen in its infancy. Right. And sort of been gone for, you know, a good 25 years of its actual growth in life. Right. And so it was really an interesting time to come back. Uh, and it made us feel placed in that there were people who made us feel placed. Mm-hmm. And there was a calling that made us feel attached to the mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. And I'd say those are consistent to Salt Lake as well as to New York. Mm-hmm. That you know, It wasn't until there was sort of a people that we felt connected to and mission with, like you guys mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the Peaches and others mm-hmm. in Salt Lake, that we really felt rooted mm. in a location mm. and then having that sense of shared calling to the peculiarities and beauty and challenges of a, of a place. Mm. Uh, so I think that's what makes me feel placed here um, and made me feel placed in Salt Lake as well. Yeah. And would you have any pastoral advice for our listeners too, to think about, you know, hey, I don't feel connected to a people. I don't feel this overwhelming sense of calling to a vocation. Um, you know, I just work this kind of nine to five job. How do we go about developing some of those, that sense of rootedness? Yeah. Again, um, listen to what you're complaining about. Mm. Um, probably is one of those breadcrumbs to follow mm. down a trail to discerning perhaps a calling. Um, you know, maybe you, maybe somebody's like going about their everyday life, but they start seeing something over and over again. And sort of the, the point of reflection and paying attention is, is bringing that thing in to your awareness and then through your awareness before God in prayer. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean like you're just praying for resolution or you're praying for some grand miracle. It just begins means that you begin to ponder it and Mm -hmm. ask, what is it about this thing? Or what is it about this hunger that I have that's unsatisfied Mm -hmm. in my current environment that needs um, an answer? Yeah. And, you know, I think I remember back in Salt Lake, us praying very specifically early on when it felt very lonely, Mm -hmm. Lord, please send help, you know, send (laughs) fellow workers, send friends. Yes. um, here. And he did. I mean, he did through, you know, lots of different circumstances. Mm -hmm. And also he opened up those friendships through having to be vulnerable. Uh, So conflict oftentimes is a place we don't Mm -hmm. want to go, but it's Mm -hmm. through that conflict or through that challenge or through that um, even experience of acknowledging your own hunger for something that's unsatisfied in the world mm-hmm. begins to draw us into the places of seeing God's answer mm-hmm. to those provisions in sometimes unexpected ways. Like, um, I think I at least tend to have overly idealized uh, ways that I think God is going to answer my prayers. And I, often, <laughs> I have no, I have no understanding of that. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> and then I ignore the actual provisions that he gives me mm. on a daily basis. You know, mm. pray, give us this day our daily bread. He knows we need those provisions. And so he is actively providing them for us. And are we simply willing to um, 
to step in and receive the gifts that he is giving us. Mm, that's great. And that applies to any place, you know, any time that we, where we live, those are great disciplines. And I'll make sure to add some of those good questions about noticing <laughs> your complaints and, you know, paying attention, making space for silence and solitude and to see those as gifts. Um, I think those are, that's great. Thank you so much. That's wonderfully helpful. Um, I would love for you to maybe just talk briefly too about you live in a huge city um, and you know you feel called to a people. Um, you're called to this place. You have good work to do. What are the particularities of New York City that kind of make the city tick? Um, I would love to hear. I've not spent a ton of time in New York City, so I would love to know what is it particularly about such a city of that size that shapes people's loves and their affections? How, how does the place shape the people? Yeah, I mean, I think every place shapes its citizens in unique ways. And when you move from one place to another, you might see those in more stark terms right. than if you happen to grow up there. Yep. Sometimes uh, we kind of have a an anesthetizing effect of the place yes. we've always lived. We forget and we kind of, you know, breathe the air too much. And, right. <laughs> and so that's why, you know, visiting other places and traveling is an important part of like seeing your own home well. Yes. Um, but when I think for New York specifically, uh, Salt Lake was such a religious city. Um, and I, I really love that because you talked about religious right. topics. Right. Easily. Yeah. Easily. Mm. Just from the headlines in the paper down right. to someone you casually met asking what you were within three minutes. Right. Uh, so clearly New York is not like that. Um, it's uh it's not a religion on your sleeve city. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, there, you know, even like the parking, you know, there are so many new religions intermingling and mixing and connecting that I think there really is a real attempt to try to be respectful and understand each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the ways they do that is by not asking too many questions about mm-hmm. faith or religion. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, miss a misunderstanding of trying to respect and understand each other. Right. So I, Obviously, New York's a very busy place. I mm-hmm. think New York uh, really has an idol of affluence or mercantilism mm-hmm. or making a name for yourself. I mean, mm-hmm. Even all the most famous songs about New York include right. those, those topics of busyness and hustle. And you come here to make it to go someplace else to relax. And so, <laughs> yeah, there's a real work um, centric culture mm-hmm. um, that permeates even church and yeah. church staff teams, mm. where there's a sense of um, my worth is coming from my work, mm-hmm. um, and if my work fails, then I'm a failure. Mm. Versus, in other places, you may. Your work may be mediocre, your work may be failure, but you don't feel like a failure. You don't right. identify that as the thing that makes or breaks you. Mm-hmm. And so I think New Yorkers have a real uh, close tie to their work and mm-hmm. their self-identity. Mm-hmm. And um, how do you speak? Um, I love if you have like a story or just a practical point of ways that you have been able to try to speak the gospel into like your worth is not tied up in what you do or how successful your ventures are uh, for, you know, how are you countering that story of your place as a pastor? Yeah, I mean, I think it, again, it's not this place is unique and that place isn't. Uh, It's the same everywhere. 
I mean, one of the things we would say about Salt Lake is because it has such a religious identity that when your religion failed, you felt like a failure. Mm -hmm. But people that kind of fell off the turnip truck of religion were finally the people ready for grace. Mm -hmm. You know, people who knew like, I just can't pray enough or I can't be good enough. I can't be holy enough. Or I have some major failure that people know about me. Right. And I can't repair my reputation. In Salt Lake, that was the point people were hungry for for something more than just mm-hmm. religion. Mm-hmm. They really wanted to know about unmerited favor yeah. of God yeah. and how that worked. I think here that place is achieved when people fail. <laughs> yeah. Work. Yeah. Uh, when they don't get the promotion, when their junior colleague leaps over them for the promotion, mm-hmm. when uh, they hit a snare in their research. Uh, that's when they suddenly become much more hungry for, but I've worked so hard. <laughs> right. Why isn't this working? And being able to talk or also issues of personal, um, when issues of personal uh, angst or experience break in and trump their work. Um, there mm. was a woman in our small group who was being sexually harassed and uh, our small group really rallied around her mm-hmm. and even went with her to report it at the police station, uh, understood sort of the challenges she was going to have with the situation, mm-hmm. even reached out to the guy who was doing this to her, mm-hmm. who was outside of our, our scope. And after a few weeks of our small group's intervention and care and love for her, you know, she came to our community group and said, you know, all along I've identified as this, but for the first time in my life, I, I understand my, my identity is as a Christian mm-hmm. and everything else is secondary behind that. Mm-hmm. And you guys have shown me what my community, what my family, what my work group never did. Like they would say comforting quote unquote things, but they never got involved. Right but you're coming alongside of me proved um, mm. the gospel to me in a mm. fresh way. Mm. That's great. Wow. Yeah, that's beautiful. And so what have you found? So one thing in my book, I credit Sam, he has, you have a nice little footnote in there if you haven't got to that point yet in Finding Holy <laughs> in the Suburbs, where I talk about falling on the grenade because that was one thing as he was pastoring us in our Salt Lake City Church that I just, one of these beautiful images of what it looked like to talk about ideas of reconciliation, to talk about healing, to talk about um, forgiveness and repentance. So I would love, maybe if you could just tell us a little bit more about that image uh, that you kind of come back to. And then secondly, is there a place that we can um, kind of fall on the grenade for our locations, for our places, and what might that look like? Mm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, a few years ago when I used that, I was thinking more on the idea like, you know, somebody in a warfare situation willingly leaps on the obstacle in order to save their friends and their, you know, Mm -hmm. their battalion or something. Um, I think the last few years, it's gone deeper for me in Mm. that I've come to understand that God's love means that he is always Mm -hmm. self-giving. There's no way for God to be except in self-giving love. Mm-hmm. And his holiness is complete in us seeing him as only self-giving love. Mm-hmm. And so the cross is really the ultimate display of the heart of God, that he willingly 
bleeds on behalf of his beloved, mm-hmm. he willingly throws himself on the grenade. Mm-hmm. You know, he mm-hmm. takes in his own takes, body. Yeah. yeah, in his own body, he bears um, mm-hmm. the marks of our own sin. He takes it into himself. And so I can't help but to think that as God's people, as people marked by the cross, that we then ourselves are then called to do that same cross-shaped behavior Mm -hmm. to the others in our lives, to our places where we live. Mm -hmm. And so practical ways is meaning that um, just like at the cross, God was not, you know, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, Mm -hmm. but willingly laid himself down as a servant. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that's our calling. Um, and so to be to willingly lay down your rights uh, in a relationship means that you don't hold past grudges. You don't um, you don't keep bringing up other another person's faults. Yeah. Uh, you move towards them in self giving love. That doesn't mean you become a doormat. In okay. fact, the cross is anything but a doormat. The cross is a is a it's a stake in the heart of you know, our vampire souls, and, <laughs> you know, we're, we, we, um, we need to be brought to awareness. And mm-hmm. So the cross is a, is a gaspable shock mm-hmm. of how willing God is to lay down his self for us. Mm-hmm. And so in our relationships, do we shock the people around us mm, by our willingness question. to, um, to bleed on their behalf? Yeah. So what and might then, that look like yeah, for, for a place. place. Yeah. I think for a place, is there something about the presence of the church or a person or a family that in a neighborhood or a community, people go, there's no reason for this self-giving love except mm-hmm. for some sort of alien thing. Mm-hmm. I don't, I can't, I can't make it, I can't make it out, you know? Yeah. And so it should be shockable in a, in a, interesting way like so practically how could you do that right like is a church displaying to its community some sort of love that is um unexplainable Mm -hmm. um just had a speaker who was talking about he didn't understand the lgbtq community Mm -hmm. and so he started volunteering for a hotline um for lgbtq youth Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. thinking about suicide and he's a straight, white, you know, middle-aged man right. who does this. Mm. And everybody around him is like, was suspicious at first, right. was trying to figure out, why are you here? And over time, as he just said, I'm just here to try to love people. I don't want people to have to feel like that's their only resort is to end their life. Mm-hmm. And so slowly building credibility because it was a shock to people. Right that someone like that would step into their lives in such a way that showed mercy and kindness and a desire to know them Mm. and um, to, to really love them. Yeah, that's beautiful. And that gives us some good questions to ponder, you know, what's one small thing I could do today that could begin someone on the path towards this kind of shocking realization that why is this person, why is this community giving so much when everyone else wants to take? Right. I think that's great. And lastly, this is a question I ask everybody. <laughs> I want to ask everybody about their laundry routine. And, you know, we've, we've talked about place and belonging and moving cars and disciplines of spirituality and silence and solitude. Um, 
And so we can talk about all the big ideas, but I would love to hear your laundry routine because I think that if we can't figure out, like we've been trying to connect the dots together in our conversation about all of these big ideas and, you know, things like, what does it mean for Jesus to die on the cross and how does that relate to where we live and how we live? But if we can't figure out how the gospel makes sense right into our small things like doing the laundry or moving our car, then we're not actually living the full Christian life. We're not actually being transformed into the image of Christ. So what's your laundry routine, Sam? (laughs) So my laundry routine is probably, as you know, my wife uh, doesn't trust me to do the laundry. Oh, yes. Yes. I always do it wrong. So I, she does all the laundry. So that's my laundry. So how, yeah. <laughs> so how is that God's good grace to you in the, in your wife's uh, very nice household tasks that she does quite proficiently? <laughs> well, I mean, to be honest, it's one of those areas where she serves me mm-hmm. and I have to be willing to be served mm-hmm. and appreciative of the service mm-hmm. and not uh, taking it for granted or, um, you know, or helping figure out ways I can help her, even if I mix up the wrong colors and things like that. Right. So, uh, yeah. I can do sheets and towels. So I do, I do sheets and towels. And do you know how to hard. fold a fitted sheet? I can fold excellently. Oh, nice. I also iron. So I do all the ironing. Okay. That so is, okay. Yeah. So it is a family <laughs> affair. I love it. But yeah, I think it's true, right? Is like these little mundane household tasks, whether the, whether they're washing up or doing the laundry or ironing are the ways that we love and serve one another. And they're not simply horrible things to get through, which is often yep. our, our thoughts, right? Yep. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Sam, for your time. I'm really excited to write down some of those questions in the show notes for everybody um, as we think about loving our place as well. So I appreciate your time and attention and thoughtfulness about your own place. Yeah. Thanks, Ashley. You are welcome. enjoyed that interview. It was really fun for me to begin to introduce my friend Sam Wheatley to you guys here on the Finding Holy Podcast and get a little bit of his wisdom. Just so you know, this is our very last episode of season one. And so we're going to take a break for a few weeks. So happy holidays and know that in January, we have a few great things in store for you. In January, we're going to be working at providing you with more content from pastors, authors, spiritual directors, professors, and more. But as we do all of that interviewing and mixing and all the cool behind the scenes things, we have a special treat for you. I'm going to sit down with my husband and pastor, Bryce Hales. Bryce and I are going to sit down. We're going to chat about the ins and outs of ministry in the suburbs. Consider it a few weeks of suburban boot camp where we talk about how to start from the ground up how to create a culture of generosity, vulnerability, and hospitality. You will not want to miss this special January episode. And listen in if you're in ministry, if you live in the suburbs, or even if you're just curious about how to take some small practical steps to be a better neighbor. So I want to leave you with one small step following on with my interview with Sam. First, I want you to identify one transitional moment. What is one transitional moment that you have throughout your day or throughout your week where you can begin to use that time well? 
It might be a commute time. It might be the time in the shower. It might be the time where you are fixing dinner or washing up. What is one transitional moment that you could consider turning Godward instead of selfward or simply being distracted by technology? And secondly, during that one transitional moment, I want you to simply try one transitional step. It doesn't mean you have to overhaul your life, but what is something small that you could begin to do in that one transitional moment that moves you Godward rather than selfward? Think of it as a little multivitamin for your week. That might be something as simply as just saying, help God. It might be meditating on one line of scripture. It might be saying a verse from Psalm 23. Whatever it is, try practicing that one transitional step in your one transitional moment. Thank you so much for joining me here at the Finding Holy Podcast. It has been such a pleasure. And I'd like to invite you to do three things that will help as we continue on with the Finding Holy Podcast. If you've loved an episode of Finding Holy, will you do these three things? Firstly, will you subscribe to the podcast? You can do that wherever you listen to podcasts. Secondly, will you consider sharing an episode? You can do that directly from your podcast app or go ahead and find all of the information at aahales.com slash podcast and you can share right there. And lastly, will you consider picking up a copy of Finding Holy in the Suburbs? At the end of every chapter in my book, you'll find one practical step. Actually, you'll find a few practical steps to help take all of the big ideas into your everyday holy life. So subscribe, share, and read Finding Holy in the Suburbs. I can't wait to hear what you think because big things matter, but so does the laundry. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.